Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Brown Paul, we believe It is December 17th, 2021 Welcome to The Daily Rob And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey And on all major podcast platforms Now, today we are going to do something a little bit different. So instead of just the news, we are going to give you a naughty and nice list for some very influential people. Isn't that right, Rob? That is right, Stu. And I just want everybody to know that I have been nice all year. Matter of fact, I've been so nice that I kind of expect much of our viewership to send me a present. Right on, right on. You know, when you look in the dictionary and you you look at the term altar boy, they have my picture there. I did not know that. Is that in Merriam-Webster's version? It is. It is indeed. Damn. So we had contacted the North Pole to get part of their list that they needed help with. But despite all our FOIA attempts, they did not hand it over. However, those good people at Time Magazine, they had a list of the 100 most influential people for 2021. And they wrote up little blurbs about each people that had special guests writing up why this person was influential. And so we figured we would do our due diligence and just give this a once over to see if it's accurate or not. And to see if these people really are as nice as they claim to be or as naughty as time thinks they are. So are you ready? Stu, I am ready. And I have no preconceived notions. I'm Mr. Impartiality. You know me, just straight down the middle of the road, Rob, they call me. Okay, so up first is Nicole Hannah Jones, and so this is her blurb. Who wrote it? So this was written by a director, and uh, so he was the guy who did Moonlight Jenkins. Right. And so Nicole Hannah Jones is larger than life. She must be, for how else can one describe a journalist who catalyzes the debate over how a nation teaches its history. This may be the sum effect of Nicole's greatest work, the 1619 Project, an analysis of the legacy of slaves in the U.S., but it is certain not the sum of her. The journalist from Waterloo, Iowa, contains multitudes. She is the most empathetic laugh, the consummate ally, the staunchest critic. On Twitter, she is Ida B. Wells, an allusion to her most direct antecedent, the trailblazing journalist Ida B. Wells. In 1892, Miss Wells spoke across millennia of Miss Hannah Jones when she said, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. The light Nicole wields is titanic, a blinding beam that illuminates and scorches, and her light, the wounds of America's original and subsequent sins are laid bare. With her light, the serrated flesh of this country's past is both subject and predicate a light wielded to both identify wounds and cauterize flesh. And so then, and it goes on from there. Right, Stu, you'll have to excuse me. I have to throw up right now. 
That is just the biggest bunch of horseshit. She's a complete fraud. Um, calling herself a journalist. The 1619 Project is loaded with errors. Everybody knows that. Um, this idea of America an original sin. You know, slavery existed all over the world. It was capitalism and Christianity that freed mankind from servitude where mankind, a man can stand on his own feet and work for a wage, which can't be done anywhere else but in the capitalist system. So I vote naughty. What do you say, Stan? I think she's naughty too. She was contacted by a journalist for having retweeted a tweet that had a slur in it. And the way she responds to that as a mature adult is that she doxes that journalist and includes all their contact information like their cell phone number so people can harass that individual. She was initially invited to come speak to a school, but there was such a upset up in New England about this that they then the school then revoked her the invitation to come speak. So I think naughty list. Naughty list. Hey, trust me, I'm not on bad list. You're on the naughty list, mate. And let's not even go into her mean behavior towards other people and that she often tweets out conspiracy theorists like it was actually the FBI setting off these fireworks and explosions during the riots that she then had to say, oh, I was I didn't mean to say that. Well, she's the product of the modern woke environment. She's a black woman and she can't be criticized for anything. So therefore it enables her to be um, combative and untruthful and always to be alleging victimhood. So shut the F up, you're not. And people can go to Wikipedia and there's an entire page about criticism when it comes to history for the 1619 Project. My little pinky from the fingernail up knows more about history than this bitch does. Okay. So up next is Harry and Meghan. Oh boy. There's a famous TV interview of Harry, the Duke of Sussex, when he was an Apache helicopter gunner a few years ago. He's sitting close to an airfield in Afghanistan, commenting on some royal news when there's a bang and a group of soldiers scramble behind him. In one swift motion, he stands up, rips off his microphone, and runs towards action. The same sense of urgency drives Meghan, now the Duchess of Sussex, who has long been an active humanitarian and a powerful advocate for women and girls around the world. This type of work is what feeds my soul, she wrote in a 2016 essay. Springing into action is not the easy choice for a young Duke and Duchess who have been blessed through birth and talent and burned by fame. It would be much safer to enjoy their good fortune and stay silent. That's not what Harry and Meghan do or who they are. They turn compassion into boots on the ground through the Archwell Foundation. They give voice to the voiceless through media production, hand in hand with nonprofit partners. They take risk to help communities in need, offering mental health support for black women and girls in the US 
and feeding those affected by natural disasters in India and the Caribbean. In a world where everyone has an opinion about people they don't know, the Duke and Duchess have compassion for the people they don't know. They don't just opine, they run towards the struggle. Okay, who wrote this? This sounds like they wrote, wrote it themselves and it's so freaking saccharine. Uh, again, and my stomach's upset. I mean, it's the type of thing that fuels her soul. She's the biggest bitch in the world, self-centered. And I do appreciate the fact that he was in the military and uh, you can't take that away from him. And apparently he was a regular guy. But back in those days, he wasn't a pussy. He is now. And, um, you know, the self-centeredness of them and the woe is me aspect of them and the way they, they, um, they pine for the cameras. But then when the camera says something that can be interpreted as a little bit critical, they go, oh, leave us alone, you paparazzi. And so the this- Arkwell Foundation, what does this guy know about starting a business? He's using his name, you know, to attract money. And, you know, Stu, as an Anglophile, he has let his country down and let his family down. And that's, in my book, one of the worst vices that a man can have. So the article was written by the, uh, the founder of the World Central Kitchen. And this is the only one that has to have a little blurb at the bottom for all the people that did the wardrobe and did the hair and makeup. And so that was kind of funny on its own uh, note. I do have to wonder, has Megan seen that photo of Harry when he has the Nazi armband on? Oh, uh, costume party. He's like Trudeau where he goes to about 10 costume parties a year. It's a big part of his social life. Me, Stu, you get over like 20 years old, you don't really go to costume parties anymore. Still, so, what I always thought was I watched that documentary with Oprah, and uh, they're living in that house in Southern California, and they have a chicken coop in the backyard. And Megan says that they're rescue chickens. Stu, chickens are for eating, okay? Don't give me this rescue chicken shit. You know, apparently they had to go to like Iowa to pick up these poor little chickens that were about to get killed and sent to the meat processor. They saved them. You think they really care about those chickens? It's just such a phony show. Naughty or nice. Ready to vote? I'm ready to vote. Go ahead. So, I don't know if I can say naughty. I think they are just so oblivious that they don't even realize, and they're so just stuck up that they don't even realize that they are just so offensive in their own way. So, I think they're probably in need of an ass whooping. 
Ass whooping. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, they could be bugged by reality. Um, kind of like um, Billy Ray Valentine. I'm not and, familiar with that person. Oh, he's in Trading Places. I think they ought to be Billy Ray Valentine thrown out on the streets in Philadelphia in the winter and see if they can survive. Okay. Well, we, like that. Up next is Joseph Robinette Biden. Jesus Christ. Now, do you want me to re reveal who wrote this at the beginning or after? Now, let me try to guess. Okay. Would I know this person? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In the midst of a horrific pandemic, economic collapse, grotesque levels of income and wealth inequality, okay, racial let's tension. Stop right there. Just look at the, the words. First of all, um, you know, pandemic, yeah, but it's not the end of the world. Grotesque income and wealth. Hmm. We already know a socialist party hack has written this. Continue. Extreme weather disasters and dangerous attacks on American democracy. Extreme weather, uh, dangerous attacks. Ooh, those January 6th folks walked in a building. God. President Joe Biden came into office with a willingness to think big, not small. Joe Biden and I have strong disagreements, but it must be acknowledged that he is the first president in a very long time who is attempting to address the fundamental crises facing our nation and doing that Biden is restoring faith among ordinary Americans that their government can work for them and not just for the wealthy campaign contributors. All right. I hear kind of this deep Brooklyn ease accent. Is it Bernie Sanders? It is. All right. Good job. <laughs> Biden's bold American rescue plan created a strong vaccine program that will save tens of thousands of lives, alleviate hunger and homelessness, reduce the child poverty rate by more than half and help revitalize the economy. Now through two unprecedented pieces of legislation, the infrastructure bill and the budget resolution, he is leading. <laughs> oh. Are you uh, sure? He is leading the effort to create millions of good paying jobs by rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, address the long unmet needs of working families and tackle the existential threat of climate change. I look forward to working with President Biden on these transformative efforts. Uh, existential, Stu. Wow, that's a big word. Is climate change existential? Um, anyway, Stu, um, mere fact that Bernie Sanders writes his, um, his love fest is kind of scary right there. Um, but Stu, First day of law school, I remember there were like two or three guys who walked up to me and they glad handed me, hello buddy, how you doing? And immediately I thought, these sons of a bitches are going to run from uh, political office one day and they're gummy. All three of these guys were brought up on honor violations before the end of the first year. And those are the type of people Joe Biden is. So naughty list? Oh, <laughs> yes. Naughty list. How did you get on the naughty list? Yes. Yeah, I'm what, am I three for three on naughties? Four for four? I, th I think, well, I guess we said ass whooping and, you know, kicked out onto the streets. 
for okay all right yes billy ray valentine billy ray valentine so you will definitely be able to guess who wrote the next one and this is a great example of just how far their propaganda goes so it's liz cheney and then in her picture you can see the capital is behind her so then it's making her seem like she's the one working so hard to punish the people who stormed the Capitol. So very interesting the, how they even do the propaganda when it comes to the pictures as well. Kind of like the uh, Soviet film brigades. Rarer po politicians who don't claim to put country before party. Rarer still are those who actually have. Representative Liz Cheney, a rock-ribbed Republican, raised uh. by unflinching conservatives, is the rarest species of politician yet. The ambitious office holder who risked her office to speak the unwelcome truth to her own side. My late husband enjoyed a reputation for political independence. When John was alive, he was dedicated to the dignity of the truth, just as Liz Cheney is today. By insisting that the 2020 election had been free and fair, that the January 6th assault on the Capitol was an assault on America's democratic character and that President Trump bore responsibility for it, she set an example of selfless patriotism that will long endure after her own ambitions are at rest. Representative Cheney knew, as John did, that parties don't define a nation's political character. We are all protected by the same constitution, the same democratic values, and as she faithfully maintained, we must be brave enough to defend them. Good, Romney. No, so remember, my late husband, John. Oh, oh okay. Oh, really? Well, Steve talks about her not being ambitious. She's a product of Washington, even though she's from Wyoming. And, uh, she's a go along and get along. And I think she miscalculated um, how cons conservative and pissed off folks are. And, uh, because the rest of the party hates her, she has turned on them and will do whatever she can to hurt other people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, she's naughty list for sure. And then, you know, getting Cindy McCain to write your thing for you, you know, I think is gross on its own level. I'm not a John McCain fan whatsoever. I think Liz Cheney has an atrocious voting record. And, you know, naughty list one thousand percent agree she might be my naughtiest of the naughty Steve. <laughs> yeah. she ought to that might be considered naughty she's so, a person who's been corrupted by washington oh yeah, yeah. very few people engaged in the political spectrum in washington are not corrupted i want to go international and so this Next one is someone that probably a lot of people aren't familiar with. This is going to be Modi out of India. And they use another example of good propaganda for their picture. They have Modi and his religious garb. He's praying. You don't even get to see his face, really. And so as we look at what was written by, uh, you won't be able to guess this person, but it's one of the talk show host on CNN. Uh, he essentially just, you'll see. 
In its 74 years as an independent nation, India has had three pivotal leaders. Jawaharlal Nehru, its founding prime minister, set the template for the country as secular and democratic. Indira Gandhi presided over its most tumultuous times, spanning war, civil strife, and emergency rule. Narendra Modi is the third, dominating the country's politics like no one since then. Despite mishandling COVID-19, the death toll has been estimated to be much higher than the official count. His approval rating has slipped to a still sky-high 71%. When he was elected, many believed that Modi would finally move India off its socialist past and into a capitalist future. He's done some of that, but more determinedly, he has pushed the country away from secularism and towards Hindu nationalism. In addition to eroding the rights of India's Muslim minority, Modi's government has imprisoned and intimidated journalists who shine a light on its abuses and has passed laws crippling India's thousands of NGOs and advocacy groups. It was responsible for 70% of the internet shutdowns on the planet in 2020. Two international think tanks concluded this year that under his watch, India has veered away from democracy toward what VDEM Institute calls electoral autocracy. Modi must decide if that is what he wants as his legacy. Yeah, I think I can see the prejudice in all of that writing there. I mean, and we've covered India spying on its journalists before. So it's not like we're the strongest advocates for India. You know, Richmond has a massive Indian population. And, you know, as a result, I like to know a little bit about India. But... I typically find Modi to be, I would say a little bit father knows best in his role, but he is known for his extreme generosity. Well, he's got convictions. Well, truthfully, still, I don't think the British should have ever given India up. Right? That's where I'm coming from. Okay. But, um, you know, I also detected the prejudice in saying that he hadn't dealt with 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 COVID, uh, Uber Pradesh, which is a state in India, got about 250 million folks. They had a COVID breakout. They handed out I-V-E-R-M-E-C-T-I-N and the hospitalizations and the cases dropped like 99%. It's got the balls to do that. And, um, you know, um, they're still protecting my minorities there. They're not outright shooting them in the street. Um, I understand Hindu nationalism. You know, I'm not going to beat the guy up too bad. Not you're nice. Nice. You're on the nice list. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was an odd quote too, because if we switched this out for Turkey, would they be saying that it was such a bad thing that Turkey was moving away from its secularism that had been set in place by Ataturk? I doubt they would ever say that. I doubt they would say that too. Yeah. You, you can discern the prejudice in those writings. Yeah. And, which is... And Hack wrote that. Fareed Zachariah. So this is a fun one. So this is going to be Abdul... Ghani Baradar. So Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar 
is revered among the Taliban as a founding member of the movement in 1994, a charismatic military leader, and a deeply pious figure. When the <laughs> Taliban swept to victory in August in Afghanistan, it was on the terms Baradar negotiated. He was said to be making all the major decisions, including the amnesty offered to members of the former regime, the lack of bloodshed when the Taliban entered Kabul, and the regime's contacts and visits with neighboring states, especially China and Pakistan. Now he stands as the fulcrum for the future of Afghanistan in the interim Taliban government. He was made a deputy prime minister, the top role given to another leader more acceptable to the younger, more hardline generation of Taliban commanders. A quiet, secretive man who rarely gives public statements or interviews, Baradar nonetheless represents a more moderate current within the Taliban, the one that will be thrust into the limelight to win Western support and desperately needed financial aid. The question is whether the man who coaxed the Americans out of Afghanistan can sway his own movement. Good God, Stu, this thing is just so loaded. One, pious, he's a murderer, okay? Now, I can understand if they said something like he um, he's he adheres to uh, strict Muslim um, secular law. Oh, what's the, the handbook to the Quran they have that has all the laws in it? Uh, well, anyway. It's the same principle that when Trump, I guess, did the drone strike on one of those ISIS leaders. Uh, they had the big thing that was about a Muslim scholar killed by Trump. Right, right. It's the, yeah. it's the same. It's the same mo. And you know, I've, I think I've kept an open mind considering everything the Taliban's done. You know, I, I did not agree with us being in Afghanistan, but I do have to say this is written in a very biased manner. Well, he talks about uh, lack of bloodshed, um, how he negotiated with the Biden administration. Uh, he just took power. They, they captured Kabul. Um, and, of course, the Biden administration just ran away. Talk and about went over. They went. Remember, the, they didn't, there was no negotiation, uh, really. Biden said, oh, we're not going to pull out in May. We're going to wait until September 11th to pull out. And then things start falling in all, all around him. There was no negotiation. Essentially, right. it fell apart. And I love this. I love the line of how he's so benevolent and he's keeping the, the younger, more hardline generation of Taliban commanders in check. Well, it talks about his moderation. Yeah, sure. It talks about how he's going to win support for, uh, from the West because of Austin. And desperately needed financial aid. In other words, we need to give him money. But still, if you study the, the Quran, uh, Mohammed was conciliatory uh, to begin with. He was tolerant. Then he assumed power. Um, and he was in a position of strength. And then his tone changes to kill the infidel. And um, of course, somebody like that who needs a bunch of money and the help from the West is not going to be stridently um, 
combative at this stage until he gets what he wants. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so, uh, naughty. He's on the naughty list. So, Joe Manchin. My phone rang early in the morning after the long 2020 election night. It was Joe Manchin waking me up. He immediately jumped from congratulations to discussing how to reinvigorate bipartisanship in Washington. At that time, we did not know that the Senate would be equally divided between Republicans and Democrats, making Joe's vote the most sought after in the Senate. In 2021, Joe is in the midst of every debate. He is front and center on filibuster issue, the infrastructure debate, and the issues from voting laws to immigration to taxes and spending, as well as nearly every appointment made by the president. In short, Joe is the go-to guy in the 50-50 Senate. Joe believes passionately that bipartisanship leads to the best solutions, and he wants to prove it can still work. As someone who shares his belief in working across the aisle, I, I want him on my side. Stew, stew, stew. I don't know who wrote that. Susan that Collins. Who? Susan Collins. God. Uh, that might be the fairest of all of these uh, narratives we've seen. I, I think it's probably the best one that I've I've, saw, I've seen of. But here's twenty. I think on this guest, uh, in that you either have convictions uh, based in some sort of reality, or you don't. In other words, he's saying the spending is too much. Well, the fact that he says the spending is too much, but he'll consider consider less spending, he's still uh, agreeing to the principle that government spending spurs growth and all this other stuff, and and it's not a, a boondoggle, which we all know it is. So a guy like this, you know, um, frustrates me uh, because you can't just be in the middle of things. Either socialist policies work and you ought to grab as much, you ought to be in favor of as much of it as you, you can get past, you know, all this, all the spending is great or they don't work. And uh, I appreciate the fact that he is uh, moderating and stopping what's going on in, with the Build Back Better program and some other things. Uh, but I don't appreciate the fact that his con- his convictions aren't based on a core philosophy. So, naughty or nice, though? Well, he's from West Virginia, Stu. It's difficult for anybody from West Virginia to kind of rise above their raising. Stu, I'm, I'm ambivalent here. Um, I'm going to give him a naughty just because I'm an asshole. <laughs> I, I'm going to give him a nice. I think... He hasn't bent to all the media pressure that has surrounded him in cinema. And I think that's admirable to not crumble when an entire industry essentially wants and wants your job taken away from you and is headhunting you. Basically saying a $3.5 billion socialist boondoggle is something I can't go along with. But hey, a two a two trillion dollar socialist boondoggle is something I can get behind. To me, Stu, that's just doesn't make any sense. Okay, win.
Naughty. Okay. Up next is Tucker Carlson. Love him or hate him, Tucker Carlson may be the most powerful conservative in America. With roughly 3 million viewers every night, Tucker Carlson tonight is the top-rated show in cable news history as Republicans have lost nearly all of their political power on the federal level. Carlson has emerged as the de facto cultural leader of the right. His diatribes against the elites, which is in quotation marks, the federal government, and the scientific consensus shape the belief system of millions. If it seems like Americans can't agree on anything, including whether COVID-19 vaccines work and whether Joe Biden won the presidential election, that's partly the evidence of Tucker Carlson's influence. Well, Stu, um, I would agree with most of what that guy said. Again, you can see the bias. He used the word diatribes, which is kind of like machinations you know it's a it's a word that has a negative component to it and the other thing i didn't like is it said tucker carlson shapes the opinions of millions of people well maybe he has more than three million viewers a night it's because people have their own thoughts and can think critically and they identify with Tucker Carlson and his fact-based logic. So The line that I thought was most interesting was the de facto cultural leader of the right, which I think is really trying to say that he's the cult leader of the right. Uh, ooh. Um, I mean, that, that's what the propagandist in me sees. It's kind of like uh, subliminal images. Dude. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> I'm going to give that uh, my first nice of the day, I think. It gives me great honor to announce that you have made my nice list. <laughs> okay. And so this was written by Charlotte Alter, who's a Time senior correspondent. So where everyone else had essentially colleagues and friends or specialists who concentrate on that subject, right for them he had a staff member at time magazine so the way this works in their world is they get marketing professionals to put together the puff piece and they probably have uh all these uh these push poles and and um and 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 research groups to cater the language exactly the way they want to give the candidate or the nominee the widest breadth of potential popularity yeah i mean it's thing they they wrote it about him so yeah it's and it's it's not like they called sean hannity up and asked would you be willing to write why you think tucker's influential for us or tucker did not get his publicist involved in a room full of uh, lobbyists and say hey we need to write something up let's see what we can do so up next, we have Xi Jinping. I have met with Xi, President Xi Jinping around 30 times, and we have chatted one-on-one -on, -one on some occasions. But for the sake of time and space, I would like to highlight three points when I talk about President Xi. First, President Xi loves his country and his people dearly. When he invited me to China for a state visit, I asked him where I should go while there. He replied, come visit my ancestral home in Shen Shenzi province, wonderful place. 
I added that I wanted to visit Inner Mongolia and meet a local family. He again replied very kindly. Second, President Xi has no arrogance. He treats people or counterparts from other countries as equals, although there, although there is no doubt that he is the most influential politician in the world today. Third, I have no illusions about President Xi's policy as a whole. I totally disagree with what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to ethnic minorities in China. When it comes to Mongols in China, they have a distinct way of life, culture, and language. They have constitutional and human rights to enjoy, to inherit. These rights must be protected. Chinese assimilation policy, which, I, which has also targeted the Uyghur minority, detaining more than an estimated 1 million in government camps has no future. China cannot claim humanity while committing crimes against humanity. He demonstrates, as many in history have before him, that it is possible to be charismatic in person and dangerous and autocratic on the world stage. He can be benign and evil. So let's face President Xi. And that was written by the former president of Mongolia. That might be the best write-up of all the narratives we've heard. You know, Hitler was a very charismatic man. Um, he was a brilliant speaker. He was an artist, um, but he was evil. Um, so I thought that was well done. I thought when he started off that he cares about his people. And, uh, um, Tony Soprano, uh, you know, he cared about his family and the Catholic Church and things like that. But he was an evil guy. Um, so I think that was fair. Uh, the Communist Party of China is evil. He didn't even get to the real evil, and that's the concentration camps and the control they have over everyone and the past history of killing 65 million of their own folks. Uh, that can happen again. But all in all, I thought the article was pretty good. As far as Z. She himself, I understand that, you know, he's put in a place of history um, that he didn't design. Uh, you know, the Communist Party existed before he did, and he is, he can't help uh, the cards that history has dealt him. And I guess you have to look at the culture and environment. You have to come to a, a conclusion. What would you do differently if you were in his shoes? Um, I'm going to give him a naughty just because I'm not this because he's a communist. But I would say you have to take a leader like this and look at antecedent history. Of course, all history is antecedent. But that, that he was born born into and how he has uh, dealt with it. And time does more propaganda with their pictures. They have him standing at a podium and there's a big hammer and sickle on the podium. So- Or it's communism is great. I mean, that's kind of how I take it. It's not like he's standing behind a Chinese flag or something. It's, it's not about China, it's about communism. So he definitely gets a naughty in my book. That's not the list you want to be on, is it? A guy who can't take a joke that he looks like Winnie the Pooh is probably not a fun person to be around. So, he does look a little bit like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, and 
all he has if you compare him to Wayne the Pooh in China, you get thrown in prison and he has cracked down on any kind of memes that point this out. It's very interesting. So he's, he's super sensitive. So up next is Kamala Harris. Ooh, and so, cast and, Kamala. And so you do know who wrote this one. When Kamala Harris became vice president, America took a glorious step into the future. Children in America were awakened to new possibilities. People around the world saw America in a new light. There was joy in the air, not just because Kamala Harris was the first woman and first black person and first Asian person to become vice president, but because she's the black country. and she's Asian. Well, I guess it's Asian, not South Asian. I think that's interesting to put down. But because the country saw what Joe Biden knew, that Kamala Harris was the best. I have known the vice president for a long time. We are Californians. We have a common motivation, family. The vice president's mother raised her two daughters as she worked as a scientist to cure breast cancer. Her mother's self-determination drives the vice president's work, whether that is providing tangible relief to families, lifting up women in the workforce, or defending the right to vote. The vice president wants everyone to have the opportunity to determine their future. In becoming vice president, Kamala made history. Now she is making progress for the people. Nancy Pelosi. Yes. Well, first of all, Stu, um, she's naughty because she comes from a slave-holding family. Okay. She does. I know she does. Pardon? I'm aware of that. Yeah. The other thing about her, Stu, she came from an upper middle class black family. Her father, the Jamaican dude, very conservative. Uh, Which is why we never hear about him. Yeah. And he's kind of disowned her. But because of her privilege and the fact that she's black and she's a woman, she's been given everything. And she is the empty suit of empty suits. She's a complete vacuous idiot. And it shows um, when she decided to run for for the Senate after she porked Willie Brown for a few years uh, in California. Oh, hey, wow. Like um, pass the bong over here and let's vote for the um, black liberal woman because we've never had one. And uh, it doesn't really matter that she's a complete fucking idiot. Uh, and that's how she rose to power. Yeah. And let's not forget, you know, when Pelosi wrote. She wants everyone to have the opportunity to determine their future. Kamala kept people in prison because she didn't want her record to show losses. So that's just the ego and vanity of this woman. And let's not talk about, you know, the time when she was on the breakfast club joking about smoking weed. She's locked people up for smoking weed. You know, she is a hypocritical fucker. I feel a little bit sorry for her in the sense that she has essentially created the tragedy of her life. But at the same time, when you seek power for power's sake, you live by the sword, you die by the fucking sword. And, you know, you reap what you fucking sow. So, naughty list. Believe it or not, Stu, I'm going to vote naughty. Very, very, ooh, very interesting. Okay, well, mm. Okay, well, there you go, you see. I'm afraid to tell you. It's not wonderful news. No, in fact, it's quite sad news, you see. 
I'm afraid you have made the naughty list. This is written by Gibbs, who is the director of the Schornstein Center, the Edward R. Murrah professor at Harvard Kennedy School, and a former Time editor-in-chief. So since Time... I I don't know who he is, but you just named his curricula vitae, his curricular vitae, and I can tell you he is an elitist, um, liberal, <laughs> narrow-minded, uh, thinks he's scholarly, but he's not, and I don't agree with anything he's about to say. Go ahead. Yeah, and so, of course, when you have a, a conservative person, time gets to bring their their staff out, uh, even their former staff. So this is on Donald Trump. On his very first day as president, Donald Trump stood on hallowed ground at the CIA and boasted of holding the all-time record in the history of Time magazine for being on the cover. That record is actually held by Richard Nixon, the other modern president, in competition for doing the most violence to values, norms, honor, and decency undergirding American democracy. In 2021, Trump arguably surpassed Nixon as a menace to the the Constitution. American democracy catches its breath in between the lines of the founding text. It depends for its resilience and moral power on a shared commitment to both individual freedom and the common good. Trump's only role is ruthlessness. He sees norms as opportunities for vandalism, a window left open in our intricate constitutional structure that he can crash through. Trump's assault on the Justice Department, his extortion of foreign allies, his obsession with domestic enemies, all rhyme with Nixonian villainy and go further. Nixon had his secret enemies list. Trump called for his congressional opponents to be arrested for treason. Nixon largely kept his bigotry private. Coded in the language of the silent majority, Trump made his a slogan. And in 1960, despite actual evidence of election fraud in Illinois and Texas, Nixon did not summon his supporters to storm the Capitol. Trump celebrates participants in the January 6th insurrection as patriots and runs to get another can of gasoline. Although he has left office, he remains a magnetic force, propelling others who have taken up his anti-democratic mantle and challenged the validity of our elections. Nixon still leads Trump by a count of 55 to 35 in the time cover competition, but history will judge which president most disfigured our politics and policy. That's a race Trump is well positioned to win. The hallowed ground, the hallowed ground of the CIA. Suck my fucking dick, you pompous Harvard cunt. (laughs) Oh, just look at the buzzwords, Stu. Everything that uh, Donald Trump is the exact opposite of everything that he said in this current administration and the Obama administration is the embodiment of everything everything that they said. Look at how the left has weaponized the IRS, the Justice Department, the FBI. Look at the way the left today has this January 6th star chamber. They don't abide by the rule of law. They are the ones who are anti-democratic. Trump showed remarkable 
uh, restraint in not firing a lot more people than he did. God, I could go on. Ruthfulness. I mean, what do you call when Adam Schiff and that fat-ass Nadler guy come up and destroy the Constitution by coming up with this impeachment idea because Trump had a phone call? Uh, What do you call ignoring the corruption of of Joe Biden and his family in Ukraine itself, not to mention every other thing? It is a... I would like to punch this guy in the fucking face, dude. He's a elite Harvard liar. Um, it's, one, it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a gal. It's Nancy Gibbs. Well, whatever. Yeah, but but uh, write a critical piece on Donald Trump and tell the truth. This is filled with factual, um, well, with purposeful fabrications. What what I hate about a piece like this is you know. Nancy Gibbs is one of these people who will invoke the Constitution, but probably is completely focused on gun control. So the Constitution is something that you like to throw out there when it works for your narrative, but you actually really don't believe it in it. And so it's a pretty sounding uh, platitude. But the idea that Trump told people to storm the Capitol, everybody knows that's not true. Um, and it wasn't an, ins- an insurrection. People wanted to talk to their representatives because there is a mountain of evidence uh, of voter fraud in eight states. And if you talk about it, you're gaslighted like a conspiracy nut. Boy, I dislike this lady. She's the naughtiest of the naughty. I, and I hate this, his extortion of foreign allies. What, he protects what, what, American what, interest. Yeah, I mean... It, it's so goofy and, you know, they love to throw that, you know, coded language, dog whistle crap at you, you know, I mean. Well, yeah. and the way they go after Richard Nixon, too, um, let's not forget that Richard Nixon was the one who exposed Alger Hiss and um, and he worked his ass off to. Um, to expose all the fellow travelers during the 50s. Uh, We have Richard Nixon to thank for that. And there were communists embedded within uh, all over the national government. uh, And they hate Nixon for that. And let's talk about what Johnson did, what Kennedy did, what Obama did. And the things that Nixon did doesn't hold a candle to the corruption that those three did. Yeah, I mean. He had an enemies list, yes he did. And he asked the IRS to um, investigate a a few folks. He did. But look what the IRS did under Obama. I mean, look Uh, what the IRS is trying to do under Joe Biden. Right. Transactions Um, of 600, I mean. Look what the DOJ um, did to Trump. Um, look how they conspired with criminals to come up with a narrative to have him impeached, <laughs> conspiring with a communist foreign country. I mean, and the, this whole assault on the Justice Department, like, I don't even know what she means by that. She doesn't know what she means by that. He sat there and let himself get abused by uh, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, Comey, 
and uh, about six others in the Justice Department who were hell-bent on fabricating information to discredit him, leaking it to the paper, uh, going up in front of the Pfizer court. Um, it's probably one, if not the biggest scandals in United States uh, history. And they were in concert with the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, and, and this also this line that Trump called for his congressional opponents to be arrested for treason. What the fuck is that about? I don't I mean, know, but but uh, but again, oh, he apparently called for Adam Schiff to be arrested for treason. I bet that was a complete. This is from Vox, so we know it's bias. Uh, I bet this was him. I bet he had some fighting words to say about it, and that's right. why. But and, you know, when Trump does his um, stump speeches, he'll say, you know, so and so ought to be arrested for two. For, for treason. Um, Trump talks like the average guy talks, uh, but he didn't ask his Justice Department to to sick them on folks. Yeah. Uh, a matter of fact, he had no interaction with the Justice Department to tell them to do things. And also unlike, Se Sessions also recused himself. Right. I mean, yeah. unlike now, the Justice Department is an arm of the Biden administration and uh, the Democratic Party. Yeah. It's like it was under Ob Obama. What about running guns in uh, to Mexico? Yeah, fast and furious. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could just go on and on and on about the corruption. Oh, oh, I mean. Fuck that lady, Stu. Oh, I, I mean, these are the, this is the kind of person, you know, a Harvard fuck. I hate these people. And it's, you know, you talk about it all the time. This is someone who's never gotten their hands dirty in their life. And they just think they can just go around saying all of this shit that is not backed up and they're oblivious to the fact that the side that they love and they support is just, if not more dirty than what they believe yeah. the average Republican is. There's a, of course, there's a ton of corruption in politics. No one tr should trust a politician. And of course, the academic pedigree so many of these folks are astonishingly ignorant yeah. of true academics and learning. And she is one of them, obviously. I mean, technically, she works at a racist university. We know that Harvard discriminates against Asian students. There's a lawsuit out concerning that. So she technically, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the hypocrisy just is all over the place, but she is on my naughty list for sure. President Trump. Uh, she, she's naughty. President Trump is nice. I would say President Trump is probably on my nice list, but I am disappointed in him. Very impish. The actions of President Trump, uh, I agree with him. Almost everything he did. I'm, again, I'm more of a free trade guy than a tariff guy. Um, his, the criticism of him is that he's not a mellifluous, smooth acting character like Rob Smith. That's the only thing wrong with him is he's, he doesn't have the tact that he should have at certain times. But the reverse of that is he's got the balls to say things that uh, 
are bombastic, but need to be said oftentimes as well. Well, so I, I mean, think good with the bad, and the good outweighs the bad to me. Yeah, and I don't disagree. And I, you know, I'm not angry at him because he talks like a typical person does. I'm just more upset with you know people like Mc, uh, Matt Gregor should have been at, at working with him from the start. You know, he, you know, why was someone like Bolton ever affiliated with the Trump why? administration? You know, he. He said he was going to drain the swamp, and it's clear that, in a lot of ways, the swamp was stronger than Trump. And well, then he I'll got tell caught you up walking through it. Yeah, he was naive about the swamp. As much as he railed against the swamp, he yeah. picked these political animals. He comes from a world of loyalty and fidelity in the workforce. It, in, in many respects, it blew his mind that people could be as duplicitous as they are. Yeah. And just because he came from a different culture. So I don't, you know, I don't blame it. I think it shows good character that he was that way. I wish, and you know, he came out of nowhere and to put together a team of folks when you're not a politician to begin with, you can see where he made some mistakes, you know, McMasters and this guy and that guy and Sessions um, that he wouldn't make again, you know? So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time, time will tell, you know, so there's that. So that's our Nadia nice list. All right, Stu. Well, um, once again, we're always right here on the Rob is right channel. And, um, anyone who disagrees with us go to hell. Ho, ho, ho. No!